Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best panels, seminars, and other discussions concerning game design and publishing. This has been made possible by Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Now to the show. Episode 55, How to Succeed at Conventions. Recorded at Metatopia 2014. Presented by the fantastic Avenel Wing of Double Exposure. Alright, uh, so I am Avenel Wing, and this panel is How to Succeed at Conventions. Yay. Um, success for each person is a little different, so I wanted to start out by having each person introduce yourselves. We'll go around the circle. And tell me why you're here today, what you're looking for, and what questions I can answer for you. You look like a deer in the headlights, so we're going to start on this side. We can sure. If that'll help a little more. Sarah, do you have an answer ready? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm Sarah. I'm with Room Two Hundred Nine Gaming, and my criteria for success is meeting people and kind of broadening my gaming horizon so I can get more ideas and. Um, help other people with their ideas. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm uh, Brian Ship, also with Room 209 Gaming, and uh, I'm here to uh, meet people, sort of get out of the uh, designer cave that I have uh, uh, frequently find myself in, and uh, also to find out if my game even works. So. Okay. Uh, my name is Matthew King. Basically, just to get any input or tips and tricks, because I'm at the sales point now in, for my game. Okay. So anything to do with the conventions uh, to help sales or just uh, interact with people and connect. Okay. Uh, we're going around and everybody's telling me what they're looking for or what they're looking to learn from the panel. Okay. Well, my name's Gil. Uh, I am uh, going to start uh, my first Kickstarter next year, and I want to uh, sell direct to conventions. Um, I've been involved in the gaming community for a while, but um, I haven't seen it specifically from this angle yet, so anything I can pick up is awesome. Okay, um, I'm Diane Sauer with uh, Shoot Again Games. Um, I, my game's been on Kickstarter, it's, it's, out, it's out there, I just actually finished yesterday a Kickstarter for the expansion for it, which went very well. But what I'm looking to, to get out of this is, you know, now, obviously, I've, I've been going to conventions, and I'm thinking of going to bigger conventions, maybe getting a, a booth at it, like when I say Origins or something like that, and I, there's a lot of sh uh, probably boatloads there that, that, that I don't, <laughs> that I'm not considering that you would know. Okay. Uh, I'm Walt Francis, and uh, I came to this one because uh, I'm very bad at meeting people when I go to conventions. I go and I play or run things, and uh, uh, I'm sort of power introvert otherwise, so okay. uh, very hard to find that. Uh, I'm Sarah Richardson, and while well, I'm used to going to conventions um, as an uh, attendee or even uh, online as an organizer, I'm not used to going to a con necessarily to sell myself as a professional. Uh, now that I work in the industry, I'm looking for advice on how to do that better. Uh, my name is Whitney Delightly. I work with Wish Productions, and I would like to gain a plus two to not tripping over my own tongue and a plus two to pimping myself out. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, so one of the reoccurring themes here is the, like if you distill it down, is networking and being recognized and recognizable. So I'm going to start out with like the thing that makes it easiest for me to connect with people when I'm at a convention like Gen Con, anything bigger than this. Have business cards with you. Have them readily available. Don't pour your coffee in them. Not that I had done that a Gen Con ago. Um, and make sure that the back is a surface that can be written on with a regular pen. Like, you are immediately recognized as not being in it for business, but being in it for show if people can't make notes on the back of your business card after your conversation with them. And, like, 
I I more than once have walked away from a booth and been like, ah, this business card is useless. I can't put any notes on it. It's too glossy. And had like three people around me go, yeah. And so it's a it's a tiny little thing that makes you more accessible. Yeah. Does that mean you shouldn't have a card with a front and a back then? Because my card has a front. And a back. Um, it different different cards for different purposes. But if you like, if you're behind a table, and you've got a card out so that people who have seen your stuff maybe remember that they've talked to you, that's, you know, I've, I've seen those used to great effect. But if you're actually networking and trying to form professional connections, like when I go into the dealer's room at Gen Con, I take the business card, I walk away from them, I write notes about the conversation we've just had. Because when you're meeting, I, I will power through an entire row of the dealer's room in or the exhibitor's hall at Gen Con and meet everybody on that row. My short-term memory's not that good. Um, and so it makes a big difference for me to be able to remember who it was and what they do and what I promised them. Because if I've promised I will email you this week, next week, tomorrow, I write it on the business card, and then those business cards get sorted the instant I get back to my home base. And if I can, I actually open my laptop and compose an email that says, we just met at Gen Con. Here's what we talked about. I will be in touch with you in three weeks. I set an alarm and I use the same subject line for that email for every person I talked to that day so that I can search for it and knock through them one after another when I get home. So it impresses the crap out of them that you've sent them email while you're still at the trade show. It means they remember who you are. I've been known to go back to the first exposure playtest hall, send out 15 emails, do my next circuit of the exhibitor hall, and they remember who I am. They're like, you're amazing. I just got your email on my phone. How do you do that? If what you are trying to do is to be a presence, you want to surprise people like that. You want them to know that you're on top of your correspondence. If you promise that you're going to email them in a week, you have to keep track of that information, otherwise you're just one more face that they met at a trade show. And trade shows are one giant blur. If you've never um, attended one, I suggest attending an Origins as a person, even if it's just for a day to get a feel for the lay of the land. Um, talk to other vendors. Like, talk to people who've already done it. In specific, Diane, I'm gonna introduce you to Lisa Steenson Bowman, who has done every size of booth and built the convention going part of her company up from the ground up. I think she's gonna be a better resource than I am just because she's been in the, the game side of it. Um, how many meals do you each eat when you're on site at a convention per day? How many what? Meals. Uh, two. My normal rate, two. Good, good. Last time I did this, people were like, eat? No. Good. Um, so, any questions specifically on, like, my first little rant? Okay. Um, hold on. Oh, actually, I've got a question. Yeah. This is kind of a stupid practical question, but what is the best way you found to actually store business cards? Because right now I have a mountain in front of my computer, and it would be nice to not have a mountain, but have something a little more organized. Of business cards you've picked up? Yeah, business cards I've picked up. Don't bother. Mm -hmm. Email them immediately. Mm -hmm encapsulate the conversation and maintain that thread. Okay. I've already done that, but I wondered, do I still need that business card? The other thing is you can snap a picture of it mm -hmm. and save it even as their contact photo mm -hmm. in your in your smart device. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't keep the paper object because it's just a relic that I'm going to be frustrated by. And if I physically have a business card after a convention, it means there's something really significant that I need to follow up on. Cool. Um, I have it, it has about a 50% success rate, so uh, it winds okay. up being a lot of work. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I also do is um, I'm fairly active on Google+, Plus, mm -hmm. and the Google+, Plus profile actually has a notes section at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So if you have their phone number, you can put their phone number in there. Mm -hmm. If you have their business email, you can put that in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can save extra notes in there in addition to whatever your email says. So um, you can also put those in things like Evernote or OneNote or that sort of thing. 
So if you really want to save the image of it. Oh. I've done high-level executive support in New York City for incredibly neurotic, incredibly successful executives, and they don't—they don't keep business cards anymore. They strip the information off of it, and it's gone because there's just there's no room in the world for paper clutter. Um, so come up with a system, whatever it is, is the the suggestion for me. The fact that. Um, Gmail threads effectively and searches incredibly well works really well for me and the instant they are like we will guarantee that we won't use your data if you will pay us mm -hmm. I will pay them yeah I've uh, started emailing people after I get back from the convention like for each business card it's great to meet you it's great to meet you it's great to meet you and it's nice to have that connection mm -hmm. so that can stand in for the business card cool yeah uh, there's an awesome application called text expander I don't know if it's on PCs, but it is on the Mac, and you can set it up so that it, uh, you can set up keystrokes, mm -hmm. so that it autofills form letters that you can then, um, I mean, it works in any uh, text input window. Mm -hmm. um, I use it all the time when I'm reaching out to people at a convention, because it's like three keystrokes, and I get the basics, and then I add the details. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, so... Columbus, Ohio. It's every June, right? Yeah, it's before Dexcon. Yeah, okay. And I'm not texting, I'm taking notes. Just don't be offended. Um, so, you, were you asking? No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Laser <Hi>. beams. <laughs> uh, one of the other themes you guys, that, that I could distill out of the questions you asked, was the not just the networking in the practical sense, but the getting to know people and getting into the circles and the communities. I will say that gaming conventions are the most amazing place for that because Metatopia is a little bit of an oddball because everybody's here to play test and to really hash out their own projects. But so many connections are built actually at the gaming table sign up for things sign up for things you don't know are your particular uh taste jump in push your boundaries try different things and those connections turn into the sorts of connections where people end up being business partners or editing each other's stuff and it is the fastest way especially with the double exposure community to get people invested in what you're doing is get invested in what they're doing and tell stories with them play with them kick their butt at spades um, one of my best friends is someone that I played spades with once, and I mopped the floor with him. He completely underestimated me. Um, and we are super tight because we had that camaraderie. Game, gaming conventions knock down shy people boundaries because there's a formula for the interaction. And I really think that that is one of the best things available to you is just use that mercilessly. Play everything you can with everybody you can. Um... I also, by the way, you wouldn't know this, but I'm an introvert and I hate meeting people I don't know. And so I, I speak from experience on that front, that it's much easier for me to break through that reserve if there's a formula and a format. Um, also, G+. I cannot say enough nice things about how G+, is an equalizer, and if you are an introvert, it gives you an opportunity to know people and have a relationship with them. And it humanizes people that you might be intimidated by or uncomfortable with in person and then by the time you meet them on site you've already got a history and you've already got a camaraderie um so matthew you'd mentioned sales at conventions um so i will tell you honestly that double exposure conventions are a little bit of a different creature than many other conventions because we don't charge for table space so companies coming in as long as they're only selling their product they show up they get the space um, I suggest reading the convention website as carefully as possible, talking to people who have attended the convention about what the culture at a convention is. Like a very, very specific example is that Witch Hunter has not taken off in this community at all for some reason. It's huge at MAGFest. It's huge further south. It is not getting a toehold in this community. And so someone shipping 60 cases of Witch Hunter here, hoping to sell all of them, would be deeply disappointed. Um, 
reaching out again through social media to form connections or to find people say who's the person I can talk to who's your vendor liaison who's your biggest vendor in your dealer's room can I talk to them um and just really making sure that you have a plan and that when you get to the table my my pet peeve is if there's a table and someone's vending from it and you walk up to it and you can't tell who the company is you can't tell what they're selling the staff working the table is disinterested or completely absent. You aren't doing yourself any favors. Get on the convention schedules. Conventions want people who are going to run games. They want you to, they want programming. It also puts you in front of the um, attendees in a very legitimizing way because if they pick up the schedule and you're on there, well, of course you're a company they should know. Um, Make sure that all of your stuff is always this. This is not a crowd that I feel like needs this sentence, um, but there have been crowds I've spoken to who really did. Make sure that everything you put out there is copy edited. <laughs> um, you know, I had a friend running a Kickstarter, and I finally said to him, "Okay, you are not allowed to post anything else ever. Stop. If you want me to post for you, I will, free of charge. I cannot watch you post anymore because it's not been copy edited. Don't do that to yourself." Um. Also, maybe have someone within the community, when you're going into a new community, vet your copy, because different communities respond differently to copy. Yeah? I don't understand the term copy editing, sorry. So if, for example, if you are um, at a convention and your game makes it, you put your game on the schedule, make sure that your blurb in the program book is copy edited. Make sure any of your signs. I had someone once running a Weird West game that misspelled the word weird. Oh, so just like just check for grammar and typos and stuff, basically. Yeah, okay. readability. All right. Accessibility. Make sure that it feels accessible and that it hits the right notes. Um, I've, I am consistently surprised by how many people don't copy edit every word that goes up related to them. Um, every sentence that comes out of you or your organization has the potential to win or lose a customer. And that's, that's huge. And um, there will be times where you're like, well, that's not the customer we were chasing. And that's okay. But you have to know who your customer is and you need to know that everything they see about you makes a decision as to whether or not they're spending money. And also someone who might not normally be interested in your product might be interested if they see that you're presenting yourself in a way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do people have questions or things that have popped up in your heads while I'm talking? I think the only thing uh, is uh, also just wanted to point out, you mentioned conventions and like going, uh, I know the bigger conventions like Origins and Gen Con, if you're exhibiting for the first time, they'll give you um, a lower rate to put you in like an entrepreneur hall, which is a smaller booth, but it's a much smaller price tag. So I think at Gen Con, last year is about 900 or 1,000. Uh, which is about half the price of their regular booths okay. for, for a first time. Origins, I think they require that you have only one thing to sell, um, and I think it's got to be your first year also. But I think at Gen Con, it just has to be your first year. It has year. to be your first year. Yeah. But you'll want to check with them to be sure right. about okay. that. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah, check policies and also talk to someone that's done it recently, like grab last year's exhibitor uh, book right. and flip through the exhibitor hall listing. I can't tell you how useful those things are as historic information. Flip through and be like, hey, you were at the back of the hall two years ago. What did you think of that location? Mm -hmm. uh, having been to Gen Con this past year, I can tell you there really aren't any bad places. People find you. Oh, yeah. It's just incredible. Um, if you find Emerson Matsuchi, I think his last name With is? Nazca Games. With Nazca Games. He was, at, uh, at, he was uh, at an entrepreneur booth this year, so okay. he can tell you all about it. He's very, he's awesome about sharing information. He's, I've been using him like crazy. He's been awesome. Great guy. Right. Um, and those sorts of connections are mm -hmm. actually like the, the, the only reason I survived Gen Con is because people are willing to say, hey, we had a conversation about this thing and here's a person that's really good about it. Be gracious and grateful for those connections. Reciprocate. Pay forward because it starts to develop a reputation that you are solid in the community and that you are cooperative and connected. And those things are completely invaluable. And the only reason I survived Gen Con is you let me stash <laughs> my bags by your, by your table. So right. there you go. <laughs> um... 
so I'm a big fan of presences at conventions being well branded and carefully constructed. So, for example, when the double exposure team goes out somewhere, um, other than first exposure because it's a week and printing t-shirts for a team of 20 for a week gets costly, um, we will do everyone in t-shirts We will that match. We will have everybody in dark pants. Everybody is polished and collected. Um, all of our printed material is crisp and clean. There's a unified look. If you don't have a, a design person to help you have a unified look um you know occasionally i give Vinny a hard time because his look is a little uh advertising agency 1980s however it is very unified and it is always crisp and that makes a big difference and if someone comes into our area and sees a sign that is not they're like that's not actually a double exposure product and that is huge in people responding as though we are adults who know what we're doing um what other questions you guys are a very mellow group <laughs> last year's group was much more raucous <laughs> want me to like knock over a chair or something good job Gil thank you <laughs> well um what's, what's like the biggest mistake that you consistently see with perhaps new people at conventions um I hit them like the copy editing thing okay. um, not following convention procedures not reading not communicating enough I would rather that someone pick up the phone or send me an email and say hey I'm confused about this uh, than someone guessing uh, people coming in to a new culture and trying to impress their expectations of how a convention should work or how a game should work on a culture that exists is one that puts people off. Um, when you are working as a team to represent a product, it is really important to have the sort of dynamic where you can check each other and be like, hey, that wasn't okay. Specific story, real story. I once had a game designer who in three conversations made innuendos in two of them and insisted on referring to me as Mrs. My Husband. And the third time I said, no, really, he's Mr. Avenel. Um, and he didn't get the hint that he was tromping all over my nerves and really being offensive. His buddy was like, dude, you just need to dial back. She's going to punch you. Um, and I finally, like, I walked away and I came back and I said, you know what? Let's have a conversation. Your buddy was absolutely right. I am furious. But the fact that his buddy was like, whoa, 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 not cool. You need to dial this back. His buddy saved in the relationship with the convention. And so I really, and there have been times where I've said stupid things. And my staff has said, do you know who that was? Like, oh, I'll go fix that. I'll go, like, not be mega bitch. It's not their fault. I haven't eaten today. So having a team that's got your back is also a for me, a big part of succeeding at <laughs> succeeding at conventions. Um, I also so at Gen Con this year on it's all a blur. Gen Con opens on Thursday morning, so Thursday morning I was coherent and I was well spoken and I was even tempered. Last year I was a disaster. And I figured out that the difference is once we rolled into town on Wednesday, I went to bed. I said, I'm not talking to any of you. I've had food. The car is parked. I'm going to bed. I have learned that I have to decompress once we've arrived. Otherwise, I'm completely useless. Figure out what your limits are. And if you are somebody who absolutely cannot be up until 4 in the morning, don't be up until 4 in the morning. Figure out what your boundaries are and understand that just because the culture has a certain machismo about it where you're up until three in the morning and then you're on the trade floor at eight in the morning and you're still either drunk or hungover, you don't have to engage. You can step back from that dynamic and say, I have to be good to myself. I have to take care of my body. I have to take care of my company and put my best face forward. And you just, just disengage. 
I, I felt so much better and I was so much more balanced throughout the entirety of Gen Con because I went home and went, that was awful. I did not like a single minute of that. Why was that awful? Oh, I hit the ground running and I cannot do that. Um, if you can and you have the ability, get in as far ahead of the convention as possible. Let yourself unwind. If you can, leave yourself a day afterward to decompress and really double back and cement some of those connections you've made. Um, other questions, other things? So other related insights? to that, yeah. um, how have you found, like in terms of practi practicality, incentivizing booth help? Like for example, um, at Origins and Gen Con, I have one friend who said, I'm definitely helping you demo, and that's gonna be amazing. You know, the ability to step away from the booth and eat something and know that there's someone who's gonna be able to teach my game is gonna be huge. Um, it, let's say for some reason he's not able to make it and I need to grab someone else. What have you found the best way to incent? I've seen people, you know, say, well, everybody's gonna stay at my hotel room and I'm gonna drive them over, so now, uh, room is covered and transportation is covered. They don't have to mm -hmm. pay a dime. And of course, I'm paying their entry. Uh, what other tricks have you found? Um, the I'm going to drive you over there is huge because it actually gets them to the building. Mm -hmm. um, let me think about that for a minute. Um, I'm going to think on that. Okay. Incentivizing. Um, may I share something on that subject a little more general? Sure. I don't know much about incentivizing booth help, but one of the ways that you can get that kind of assistance is to be reciprocal. I mean, we, we, that's pretty much what all of this is. It's about making those um, strong connect, you know, making the weak connections and then making them stronger, and then you have that pre-existing relationship where you can ask for favors or um, get them invested and enthusiastic about um, the game that they volunteer to help. And it really, honestly, in the entire world just always seems to come back down to networking. Mm -hmm. That's kind of I, depressing because I'm bad at it. No, I, but I've, yeah, it's, it's really good advice because I've seen that in the Kickstarter point of view. Like if people just launch a Kickstarter without having ever done anything, nobody really pays attention. Oh. But if you back a lot of Kickstarter projects, you're in the community, you talk to people, you proofread manuals, and then you launch a Kickstarter, you've got a community of people that you've worked with, and I'm sure with conventions it's the same way. Yeah, and I, I really think that there's something to be said for the fact that um, having a community online that you're connected to and being able to send out an all call saying, hey, I may not be able to cover your entire badge, but if you're able to work a certain number of hours for me during this time and this time, I can cover half your badge, or I'll give you a copy of the game. Um, that That is something that people respond really well to. I also am wondering if it's possible to coordinate so that your space is next to somebody that's simpatico. I was going to mention that uh, some people even go as far as sharing booth space, mm -hmm. and then you, know, you can sort of cross-pollinate, like... Uh, you know, uh, that other person can cover your games and you can cover that other person's games. And so the other thing that is a little, like, self-promotional for me to say is that being part of Envoy, whoever your ambassadors are in that area, we can tap them and say, hey, Gil's going to be at this convention. Are you available? And then we've already pre-incentivized it for them. Um, a, a little bit of advice and a question. The advice... Um, I've gone to um, conventions where I have shared booth space because one, it's less lonely, <laughs> especially if you don't know anyone there. So you have someone, at least someone to talk to when you're having a dead a, a dead zone. And I've also um, shared space while being next to someone I know or I'm willing. I, I've actually covered people I don't even know. Um, like if, if you get to some, you can always get to know the person you're, that's working beside you, and the, the trust is pretty in, like instantaneous at conventions. So I run tables for people I don't know, and they trust me with their money box and whatnot. And there have been times where if it's someone I know, I'll ask them how to run everything before we even start playing. They're like, where's your money? How do I do this? How do I do that? And also, never, the, the power of food is strong. If you make someone cookies, they will usually do something for you. <laughs> so that was my advice. My question was, um, as far as tabling is concerned, 
I know when I'm selling a product, I usually have a lot more luck selling it when I'm not in a table, like behind a table, than when I'm behind the table. And for some, and I, I feel like I'm doing the exact same thing. For some reason, I'll like make, I'll make a sale like on the spot, like when I'm talking to somebody, rather than when I'm sitting at a table, be like, please buy my things. I, I, I find I'm this very isolating. And I won't do, like, people are like, I'll do a table trade and you can come out to my convention and have a table and I'll come out to your convention and I'll have a table. I'm like, you are welcome at my convention, but you can't pay me good money to sit behind a table all weekend. Like, it just, it, it is not successful for me. Um, I can't bark the crowd and get people to come and talk to me. Um, I will tell you that having worked trade shows professionally, it is a known trick that if you have chocolate in wrapped containers on your, t not hard candies, not caramels, chocolate, you will end up with more traffic through the booth. So if you're stuck behind a table. This is an assignment. I've, I've been going to Origins since, since like 1985 or so, fairly consistently. And one of the things, I, I, I'm on a ton of board games, I'm, so I'm kind of a known collector thing, but one of the things watching people in the room, when, you're, when someone's behind a table, it might not be you, when someone's behind a table, there's just some people that are in the, the hall that just immediately assume you're going to try to sell them something. And it just, that's some, it's just weird human psychology thing. I don't know if it makes any sense or not. And it's like one, per I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, and it's one person behind a table that's like an empty table. Nobody's near it. There's like that buffer zone, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, that, that's like, exactly right. Yeah. Half the time I just want to talk to them, though. I mean, like, it'd be cool if they, like, throw money at me. But I'm like, oh, you like Zelda? You have a Zelda shirt. Come back, Zelda shirt. I want to talk to you. <laughs> I, I think a lot of what you're talking about is the power of context. I mean, we see someone in an area where there is going to be merchandise and people are selling things, and you think this person is going to sell me something. Mm -hmm. So people view that a lot more skeptically. Mm -hmm. So because even though you're just trying to engage them socially, it's going to be seen in the context of they want my money. But it's also expected at a convention. You go there knowing what's going to happen. Right. How do you think it's possible to break that expectation, you know, or just be social? Um, push the, push the table to the wall and set up in front. No, I'm serious. And build up, build up so that it's attractive and well laid out. What do you but mean build up? Um, racks and things. Um, and sit in front or stand in front. Invest in good shoes and stand in front. Humor works good too. James Ernest is great with that. It's cheap ass games. Humor breaks the ice instantly. Yep. Um, have a have a thing like um, tumbling dice is actually a thing that we use for a while as an icebreaker in front of registration. Like something for people to fiddle with, something for people to play with. That Brookstone kinetic sand um, on like a cocktail round or one of those high top tables is an interesting thing because people will stand and talk to you and if someone's being anxious they will fiddle with it and then they'll engage with you and they have a very positive memory of that interaction so kinetic things that they can interact with and manipulate so food and toys pretty much yes <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a little different but whenever I was doing craft shows um, the two things that I would see people do is they would have a list book of prices and bullet points of what they wanted you to say about their stuff. Um, so if I was watching Molly's table, she would she'd be like, point out to them the zombie book, because I hand printed that and it's really cool. Um, and the other thing we would share tricks, tricks on doing is having kind of an interesting focal point. Like she had a, a miniature tree she would hang her handbound books off of, and people wanted to just come up and look at that, and then they bought something. Right. Um, I've actually been watching, um, oh man, I just blinked on his name, um, someone who just self-published a comic book, like working through iterations of his booth setup and trying different things to see what works and what pulls people in and what gets sticky. Um, don't insist, like if, if you actually have a booth, don't insist that your community introvert be the one doing demos. That's never going to be successful. Um, I think that forming connections with other people is part of the, like, if, if you split the incentivizing a booth person and you only need them for, like, two hours in the middle of the day, you could actually work something out where you, you share and cross-train booth people. Um, part of what sparked Envoy was, so Envoy is a new double exposure program where we are training demo teams to go out and promote people's products 
um, for you in a nationwide capacity. So one of the things that really prompted that is the sense that many small companies would be better off if conventions, instead of offering you individual tables, did like a salon where everybody was cross-trained on everybody else's products. And so I kind of recommend, Gil, trying to travel in a pack with a couple of like-minded other Mm -hmm. organizations and start working on cross-training so that Mm -hmm. you can run off to a meeting or disappear for an hour because the noise is just too much without leaving the booth unmanned. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, my, my, my simple, petty, the world sometimes is this easy mm-hmm. trick for surviving trade shows is the instant you come off the floor, change your socks and shoes. You feel like a brand new person. Um, my staff was really confused in the first exposure playtest hall. They opened a box and they were like, there are four pairs of shoes in this box because I, I change my shoes midday. It just makes me more human. Any other specific things that you guys wanted to know about? I mean, I'm, I'm at your disposal. I've been doing conventions for almost 20 years. Yeah. This is a tough one for me. There's a gaggle of people there talking, and I want to listen, but I don't want to eavesdrop. And I don't want to be the weird guy hanging out outside the circle. Like staring at them. That's a tough one. <laughs> um, so acknowledging that, being like what you guys are talking about is fascinating, and I am here, and I want you to be aware that I'm standing here. You don't need to feel uh, obligated to include me, but I just want to hear because what you're saying is interesting. Is like just being upfront. I'm listening, but I don't want to feel like I'm eavesdropping or creeping. I've had people say that to great effect up, upstairs, like having a conversation about LARP and had someone who was not a LARPer be like, this is absolutely fascinating. I have nothing to add, but I'm listening. And by the way, I didn't want you to think that I was leaning closer and closer because I was awful. <laughs> Other questions? Other So in general, Gil, you do booths. You guys are looking at starting doing booths. I'm going to be doing booths. You're doing a booth, yeah. yeah. And I'm going to help Stephen uh, set up the BGG Con booth at a couple. I'm sorry, the Stronghold booth at BGG Con, just so I have. Ex- I'll have some experience in setting up a booth. The practicalities of setting up. That's a good question. That practicalities of setting up a booth. Things you need to bring. Yeah, that's actually is that. Oh yes, so understand the rules of the venue. I we once ran um, games. We ran four LARPs at a fan convention, and a week before the convention, the convention contacted me and said, "So you know that your tables are fifty dollars each?" And I said, "Oh." I'm the only programming that aren't your keynote speakers, so you'll have to explain to people why they're filling out character sheets on the floor. Because I'm, I'm not. Um, because I wasn't vending. But if you are there as a vendor, understand what the rules are. Understand that if you're in a convention center, what type of wheels are on the thing that you're using to pull your stuff into the building can have a big, big impact. Um, go over your contract in teeny tiny detail if you think that you are going to have electrical power and you are paying them money have it in the contract um if you think you're going to have a table of a particular size if you are paying for space and paying for a table have it in the contract table coverings sometimes they charge for them sometimes they don't if they, if they do charge for them, it is so much cheaper to go to the party supply store and buy some skirts. And I, I am completely blown away by the fact that Gen Con pays for the tablecloths that get taped to each table, the like peel and stick plastic tablecloths that are on their tables. They're like $8 each. It's, it's really incredible. Um, yeah. One thing to, yeah. with uh, Christy thing too, you want to watch for is uh, union rules. Yep. Because my mom used to work for environment and conservation. She went down to Javits, that obviously is in New York City, right? So, But she actually had at one point, you know, she had to plug something in, and the union guy basically said, okay, 
I'm going to turn my back and pretend I didn't see you doing this, but normally that's mine. I ran into it this year at Gen Con. We had a, an ops table outside of the playtest hall. It was not written anywhere on our paperwork that we could use the outlet that was visible. Like, I'm here, and the outlet is right there. And they made us unplug. They were like, you can't, you can't have a TV out here. We were like, it's, oh, okay. Um, make sure that you know what the rules are on how high you can go up off the table. Can you have freestanding signs? Um, it's really heartbreaking to have someone show up for an exhibitor's hall with one of those pop-up roll-out signs and then for them to be told, no, that's outside of the footprint of your space. Um, vinyl signs seem like a really fantastic idea. They last exactly one year. They, they have such a limited lifespan. Uh, we actually have gone with screen printing on fabric signs for the double exposure signs because vinyl just, it disintegrates. And if it's a white background, it looks grubby within two uses. And that's not the sort of presentation you want. Um, when you are, if you have a wall behind you, you need to know what the rules are on what you can use to stick things up to the wall. And that's going to vary by... Um, actually from venue to venue and sometimes from event to event. So don't ever assume that you can tape things to a wall. Mm -hmm. well, if you have product storage too, sometimes I've, I worked a show in Chicago and in Chicago you can't actually store anything under the tables. They, they will take all your stuff and store it away and bring it back to you the next morning uh, based on old fire regulations. And stuff. Yeah. That was a real problem. Um, and if you are extending beyond the firm boundaries of your table, make sure that you are communicating with somebody about fire code. Um, in your specific instance, if, if you are a company who is bringing people in to do vending, you also interestingly want to make sure that you're keeping an eye on labor laws and ADA compatibility. Uh, specifically, what uh, what would uh, I uh, have to watch out to not run foul of? Um, so, as an example, a certain amount of like certain types of compensation. Actually, if you provide more than six hundred dollars worth of cash value in compensation, you have to ten ninety nine them. Oh wow! Okay. Um, and what that's dollars. Yeah. Um, seriously, check the tax laws. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Also, they, they Sorry. Go ahead. No. Also, make sure you know how many slaves you can have at one time. Because there's one time we had someone helping us while someone else was in the back room doing commissions, and the staff was on us like in five seconds. Like you have too many people behind your table. Like mm -hmm. they, 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 are, they are, they are always on that. Mm -hmm. So make sure you have, you only have this, no more, no less behind your table at all times. Mm -hmm. Because they, 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 of all the things that we've been, that, that I've seen getting. Getting your finger wagged at is by too many bodies behind one table. Mm -hmm. um, um, now, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I want to also ask about uh, cash boxes and Square or other mobile payment systems. Uh, so Square is lovely as long as you have a reliable connection to the internet. <laughs> um, That's funny. Reliable <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to ever be in a in any venue where that was a guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try to go upstairs and see if I can swipe your card. I was at a convention in Maryland earlier this year where the vendors would take turns running their iPad out to a window to get a signal and batch process. Um, cash boxes. So I come from a money handling background, and I am kind of a weirdo. I think that each person working a booth deserves a cash box that other people's hands aren't in. Yes. Um, so that if something ever goes awry, you can trace it back, and there's never a question. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got three people working in the booth, figure out what your starting cash needs to be, mm -hmm. and make sure that you've got, if there are two people working with you, have separate cash boxes. Have a plan for what you're doing with them. Like a little, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the right plan is, mm -hmm. um, but I don't, I'm working retail, working food service, I refused to share a cash drawer. And I think that that's, if someone's handling cash for them, give them that courtesy. Mm -hmm. 
uh, just writing that note, centric separate cash boxes. Um, now, back to Square or other similar payment systems, they don't have an offline. I've never used them, so I've done Diff Different services have different. Like, I, I can process offline because we, go, we actually go through the same interface as we use on the website. Mm -hmm. And so we do batch processing afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, be aware that anything that um, the, the, the Kachunkers yep. are illegal. Oh, wow, really? Yes, they are. What, why are they illegal? Um, because a legislator said so. Oh, yeah, I, I was like, <laughs> is this like a, a, I didn't know if it was illegal in terms of like a lot of conventions have been legal or like actually no, like, the, like law. the law. The law has said yeah. they're no longer. They are no longer acceptable. Wow. Huh? The old style uh, credit card. The thing Impression machines. Because it keeps the credit card. I, I think records. it's. That's how it's at least I worked at university where they had to move all that out. It was a whole set of information laws. Yeah, at the same time that they no longer, like they changed laws so that a company couldn't print the entire credit card number on your receipt, mm -hmm. um, those went out. Tax laws. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be selling in a state that isn't your home state, please have a tax lawyer that's clueful. I can't say that enough, that they're taking money when you're out of state gets really gnarly, and you just want to make sure that you are within bounds and that you're not threatening to sink your ship without realizing it. Um, I think that that is so important. Um, have a backup plan for your display. Like, always, if, if you were building up, have a plan. If I arrive and one of these is mangled, how am I taking it apart and putting it back together? Um, I've seen more than one really beautiful display just completely grounded because half of it goes... Um, also, do a little research into the culture of a vending room to make sure that you're not going to have like the biggest, most obstructive thing in the room and make everybody frustrated. Um, yeah, but yeah. I've noticed that a lot of cons people use those um, uh, metal grate boxes as a display. You know what I'm talking yeah. about with like, yeah. the joints? And it, it's good. That's easy because A, you don't have to worry about height because almost everyone we, we, everyone has like their magic number like how high they want to go but since almost everyone either uses pipes or those grids, it's easy to be like, okay, I can't, I don't, I want to make sure I'm at least three squares high, otherwise no one's going to see me, but no one is higher than four, so they don't topple over or get yelled at. And so you can reach them. Yes. When other people are working your booth, be aware of things like perimeters and edges, just because you can shimmy through there without knocking everything over. I can't tell you how many times I've worked someone else's booth and ended up bruised down one side because it was set for their comfort zone. Um, other things to be aware of when working at convention centers, padding under your carpet costs money. The carpet costs money. Like, those are all things that people are surprised by. Um... I would suggest really like talking to someone again those old exhibitor hall maps being really valuable go through and and figure out who's in sort of the same range as what you're targeting and talk to them that most people who do exhibit exhibit hall things are so glad to just be like you know what I, I actually had someone tell me at Gen Con that the like part of their institutional knowledge had gone away because when Gen Con changed how the air walls worked, the airflow in there was different. Mm. But people are perfectly happy to be like, yeah, that side of the room is super cold and you need to be aware of these four things. Here's what where we got short. The game community is so ready to mentor. And so like, yes, we've done this for a million years and here's what I know. So speaking of carpets, um, I saw a lot of carpets at Gen Con. Um, do, I mean, do they have a noticeable effect? Do people tend to go to booths that are more likely to go to booths that are carpeted? They're more likely to stay if it's comfortable to stand there. Hmm. Um, also, having perching stools, like so setting up a booth where your demos are happening a little above waist level at like the high tops mm -hmm. and having perching stools so that people aren't actually committing to sitting down, mm -hmm. but they can take the weight off their feet. They will stay. They'll engage. Um, also, I'm a big fan of people having taken a complicated game 
and stripped it down to something where I can see the core of it and touch and feel the bits so that I can make decisions without needing to understand the breadth of the game. Um, don't get involved in the discounting at the end of the convention game because people will start to expect it and you've shot yourself in the foot. I'm a big believer that your game is what it's worth is worth what it's worth and if you teach your uh, purchasers to expect giant discounts they'll just wait and then you have no cash flow and that's really not good so that's almost an hour do you guys have any other questions or thoughts or things you want to share with each other people like buttons or pins or oh they love like buttons buttons pins pin back buttons I don't know why because like my sister would be like, why do people always buy these? Where the crap do you even put them? I'm like on your stuff, like I don't want to put them on my stuff. Like, well, I don't know what to tell you. But people love buttons. Like I have buttons that they're they're not. There's no pictures on them. It says I am lawful good. I am chaotic good. I am like all alignments in, in, in the font that I selected. No pictures. People will like, oh my 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 like my best friend Billy is chaotic neutral. I'm totally, I love this button. You should, and it, it, it even has something doopy on it. People love buttons. I don't know why everyone's like buttons, but they love buttons so much. Collectible so much. buttons so that people come back to your booth more than once. So like put, doing a sign where it's like you know collect all five elements and I'll give you a special button or I'll give you a candy bar, and releasing them on separate days or at different times of day means that that reluctant buyer who's really thinking about it and then comes back again, the more they come back to see you to get the loot, the more they're likely to to go ahead and spend money. And I I was surprised at Gen Con by how into that collectible button game that was going on people were. People were really revved up about that. Um, someone said something that I was going to respond to. Um, what was the last thing you said before the button scale? Uh, car carpets? Oh, it was booth help. It was incentivizing yes. booth help. No, okay. I think we're we're good. I'm good. Huzzah. Awesome. And if you guys have more questions, drop me a line. I think everybody in this room has my email. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I are these panels being recorded? Yes. Where are the recordings? Um. So shout out to Jason Petrie, who is absolutely awesome. <laughs> uh, Jason Petrie with Genesis of Legends is going to be putting them up on his podcast. So he's doing all of the file manipulation and all the stuff that I'm terrible at. Um, and so I can't guarantee what order they're going to go up in or how soon. But Jason's just going to take all the raw data files from me and get them up. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm there's, so excited. Because there's a panel at like right after, right after, like back to back to my um, high tech thing about like how to make your rule book awesome. I'm like that'd be great if you want to make your rule book, but it's like ten and ten, and I'm like I unfortunately do not have an evil twin sister. So <laughs> <laughs> darn those physics. Yeah. Actually, I'm probably the evil one. <laughs> it's relevant.